believe the Bible is more than just a religious collection of religious writings by religious men. We believe the Bible is the Word of God, written by men under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so that everything they wrote was exactly what God wanted, with no errors, no human additions or speculations. And so when we open our Bibles, we can really say we are opening the Word of God. The God of Heaven has a Word for us today. We're going to continue our study on the names of God. But maybe a question comes to mind, and I'm going to do something I don't think we've ever done at Living Hope Church before. I'm going to quote Shakespeare. Okay, real impressive here. Shakespeare said this. I think it's Romeo and Juliet. Um, What's in a name? A rose by any other name still smells as sweet. And basically that's saying, it doesn't matter what the name is. I mean, that rose is still what it is, whatever you call it. So does a name really matter, what we call God, or, or what names we think of when we think of God? Because he's just God. But let me ask you, does it matter to you what names people call you? You okay if they call you George or Matilda? Or how about Judas or Ayatollah? Are you okay with any name being attached to your person? Obviously, the names that God has chosen to reveal himself are specific ways he wants us to know him, understand him best we can in our minds, relate to him and love him personally. So these names are of great importance to know our God. Let me do a quick review for you who have been along this series or for those who haven't. There are three main names in the Old Testament for God. We're even doing some Hebrew study here, so we're getting to be Hebrew scholars. Somebody tell me, what's the first name for God in the very beginning? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What's that name for God? Anybody remember? Nope, we'll come back to that one. Elohim. Elohim, good. Elohim, sometimes shortened just to El. And so some names start with that, Elijah. Some names end with that, Joel. El is the short form of Elohim. That's just a name for God the Creator, the powerful designer of the universe, our God. And then we'll come back to one that Mark just threw. I think Pastor Josh preached this last week when we were out of town. Adonai. That's the word that speaks of God as the master of the universe. He's the sovereign in control of everything. Adonai, the Lord. And in our English Bibles, that's translated Lord with a capital L. And that distinguishes it from the third name, which is probably the most special name, the personal name of God. The name that shows he is not just a powerful force, he's a person who wants to have a personal relationship a covenant relationship with people. And so he gives us that name. He gave it to Moses at the burning bush. He said, I am who I am. But the I am comes from a Hebrew word, which is, anybody remember that? Yahweh. Yahweh. It would look in English Y-A-H-W-E-H. And it just comes from the verb to be. God says, The name you can think of me as is, I am. I've always been, I shall always be. I'm the eternal, 
always existed, God, and I'm a person who wants to know you, my people, in relationship and covenant. Now we see that word in our English Bible, translated Lord, but to keep it separate from Adonai, Lord, when you see that word in your English Bible, it's all caps. L-O-R-D are all capitalized. And when you see that in your English translation, that's just telling you that's Yahweh. But it's not usually translated Yahweh in, in most Bibles. And as we've learned, God will sometimes even put combination or compound names to reveal Himself. Remember the message on Abraham offering Isaac? Or, or willing to before God stopped him. And the name of the Lord in that episode was Jehovah or Yahweh Jireh. The Lord provides. And we're going to find today in Exodus 17 another wonderful compound name of God that helps us uh, have hope and help in our life when we see who our God is. So Exodus 17, if you have your copy of the Bible, either written or digital, you'll follow along as I read, beginning at verse number 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne, or banner, depending on the translation, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. The Lord, Yahweh, my banner, Nisi. So another Hebrew lesson. Yahweh Nisi. The Lord, our banner. At this wonderful experience for the people of God. Now here's the background. In Exodus, obviously, we're talking about the people have made their exodus out of bondage in Egypt. Moses was led of God to go down and say, let my people go. And with a series of ten plagues, God finally softened the heart of Pharaoh. They let the people of God go. They crossed the Red Sea miraculously as God split the water and led them through. And they're now on their way to the land that God has called them to and promised them when Amalek comes out to oppose them. Notice, they are not initiating a fight. They're not looking to uh, conquer people or kill people. Sometimes people view the Old Testament Israel as a bloodthirsty nation conquering all others and innocent people are swallowed up by these land-hungry Jewish people. No, no, they're just traveling on their way when Amalek comes to attack. And what are they going to do? 
These are people who are not a trained fighting force. For 450 years, they've been nothing but slaves in Egypt, making bricks and building buildings for Pharaoh as his slaves. They don't know how to fight. They're, they're just uh, common people. How in the world are they going to defend themselves against this army that's coming against them? Well, God has a plan. He always does. And here's how it goes. Titus, I need you, man. I need you up here. Is this yours? No, I got lost. Titus, you are, we're going to change your name to an Old Testament name. You're Moses. All right, Moses. Moses had a pretty powerful rod. Remember the plagues were all done with the, the rod that Moses had? He touched the Nile and it would turn blood. He touched the Red Sea and it would part. Well, that same rod is now in his hands. And God says, Moses, you're on the mountaintop. The army is down there. General Joshua is leading the men down on the battlefield. Moses is on the hill. And he's raising the rod of God. I'm going to put it up over your head like that. You can use two hands if you want. It might be easier. The rod of God is simply the instrument of God. It's the symbol of the power of God put in the hands of his faithful people. And the miraculous thing was whenever the rod was up, the victory went the way of the, the Hebrews and Joshua and the armies prevailed. But Moses is 100 plus years old now. He gets tired. And once in a while his arms get heavy and he has to put the rod down to rest. And that's not good for the battlefield because then Amalek prevails and they start losing ground. Well, they finally figure out a way. So Joshua and Olivia, I need you up here. We're going to put old Moses on a rock. He's still on top of the hill so they can see him down on the battlefield. And they're going to, he's going to have his two friends, Aaron and her, on each side of him. And they're going to hold his arms up. Those old tired arms. So the rod stays up high. And you wonder, well, what good is that if the army is down there? I have a hunch every once in a while, Joshua down there would look over his shoulder and maybe tell the troops, hey guys, don't forget, there's our leader. And they look up and they see Moses, and more importantly, they see God's rod, God's tool of power. We've got the Lord on our side, and they sweep into victory. And the battle is won, and Amalek is conquered. Thank you, Moses and Aaron and her. <laughs> So the first military conflict that people ever face, and it's a smashing success. And who gets the credit? Joshua, the general, is he a military genius? I don't think so. The troops, well, they fought bravely with courage and determination, but it wasn't so much them. Can we attribute it to Moses? I mean, man, he's just got it. He's got the charisma, the leadership. It, you know, the dynamic leader always wins. Well, he's just an old man, really. Must have been Aaron and her. Well, they played an important role. They held up the hands of their leader. They supported. And boy, I think that's a beautiful picture of teamwork, isn't it? I think even in our church we can find an application. Whether we're on the battlefield, the front line, whether it's the leader doing the leader's work, whether it's the supporters holding up his arms, and we usually say that's holding up one another in prayer. God uses a bunch of faithful people. But the real glory goes to, and we find this at the end, Moses called the name, the Lord is my banner. 
Yahweh Nisi. This is the only time we find this name in the Bible. But it's not the only time we find the word banner. The banner is a common thing in the Old Testament. It was a pennant, uh, a flag we might call. It would be something that would be held high as the standard for troops to see in battle and rally around and follow. It would be uh, something that would be waved in victory afterwards. And so we read in Psalm 60, verse 4, You have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it. The banner we have in the Lord, we flee to Yahweh Nissi, the Lord our banner. Psalm 20, verse 5, May we shout for joy over our salvation, and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. Because the name of our God, Yahweh, He is our banner. We have no higher banner to raise than the Lord. You remember the wonderful statement in the Song of Solomon? Chapter 2, verse 4. His banner over me is love. What a wonderful summary of Yahweh, our banner over us, is love. And we go to battle with Him as our mighty conqueror. And today we see banners and flags are used to identify peoples and nations. We will be waving a lot of these flags on Tuesday. You'll go around, you'll see them everywhere, right? Parades and houses, cemeteries, and all sorts of programs. We will wave old glory, and we will be thankful to God for our nation even as other nations will do in their lands, thankful for the, the land that God has given them. And we might even sing our national anthem, which is called what? The Star-Spangled Banner. Banner. There you go. We have a banner. But as Christians, we have a banner that we raise even higher than our patriotic banner. Our banner is the Lord. He is the standard that gathers together the soldiers of the cross, We fight our spiritual battle knowing that the banner over us is Yahweh Nissi. His banner over me is love. The prophet Isaiah prophesied this of a future day. In that day there shall be a root of Jesse. That's a term for the Messiah. Won't go into detail, but that was one of the ways they referred to the Messiah. He would be a son of David, a root of Jesse, He will stand as a banner to the people. He will set up a banner for all nations. Isaiah 11, verse 12. Jesus, the Messiah, will one day be the banner in this world. All nations, all armies will come under Him, the King of kings and Lord of lords. We can know Him today. We can already know by enlisting in His army, by faith receiving Christ, we can be a soldier under the banner of the Lord. There's an old song that says, there's a royal banner given for display to the soldiers of the King. As an ensign fair, we lift it high today. As as ransomed ones, we sing, marching on, marching on. For Christ count everything but loss. And to crown Him King, we toil, and sing beneath the banner of the cross. Jehovah, Yahweh, Nissi. We celebrate, we wave the banner of our conquering king. 
But folks, we really can't grasp or consider our conquering Lord until we know another name of God. So I'm going to ask you to turn over to the book of Psalms. And it's easy to find Psalms. Let me give you a trick if you've never learned. You close your Bible, and then you open it best you can to the halfway point. And most times, most Bibles, you'll be opening to the book of Psalms. Because it's the largest book in the Bible, 150 of them, and we want number 84. Psalm 84. While you're turning there, imagine you are living in the Old Testament. You are a believer who wants to worship Yahweh, the living and true God. So where do you go? At that time and place in the Old Testament, where would you go to meet your God and worship Him with sacrifices and songs and praise and Scripture? The temple in Jerusalem, right? So we're marching from wherever we are in Israel. We're heading to Jerusalem. And while we're marching, this is one of the songs we sing, praising God, getting our hearts warmed up and ready for when we get to the temple. And notice how the songwriter, the psalmist, addresses the God, the, the God that he's looking forward to worshiping at the temple. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Boy, I hope I come to church that way on Sunday. I'd love to have that same attitude every week. God, help me to be so excited and anticipating coming to worship the, the living God. Notice verse 3. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. My king and my God. Even a little bird. There are probably many little birds making nests in different nooks and crannies in the temple building. Even the little animals would love to be calling the temple of the Lord their home. But notice the name he uses addressing his God. O Lord of hosts. He'll repeat that in verse uh, number 8. O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. He'll repeat that at the last verse of the song. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Yahweh Sabaoth is the Hebrew. Not Sabbath, that's a different word. Yahweh Sabaoth. Sabaoth is the plural word for hosts. You say, well, what's a host? A host, it's not the opposite of a hostess. A host in this meaning is a multitude, a very large group. And it's pluralized, so it's many, many large groups. And Yahweh, who we worship, is the Lord of hosts. Well, large groups of what? We find it used in three ways in the Old Testament. Real quick. Number one, hosts of angels. Angelic beings were created by God. Innumerable number. We're never told in the Bible how many angels there are. We just know there are many, 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 many Many of them are holy, called the elect angels, who worship God, who serve God. Guardian angels, they minister for God's people. There's a minority of those angels that rebelled against God, led by Lucifer. And they were removed from their position, and now they're fallen angels. We call them demons. They're opposing God and God's people. But all of these invisible angelic beings are the heavenly hosts. 1 Kings 22:19. Or you remember in Luke 2, the 
the night Jesus was born, the angel came to the shepherds to announce the birth of Messiah. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest! Messiah is here. He's the Lord of those heavenly hosts. But then there's another usage of heavenly hosts. Isaiah 34.4 refers to the stars, the planets, the moons, um, meteors, nebulae, maybe black holes, and everything, heavenly bodies, the celestial bodies out in space. Isaiah 34.4. Just consider the stars. Can I blow your mind real quick? All right, here you go. Number crunching time. It's estimated that there are 100 billion stars in our galaxy, which is called Milky Way. Good. The Milky Way, our galaxy, which, which our solar system is in, is just one galaxy, but estimated 100 billion stars. Well, how many galaxies are there? We're not the only one. Well, this is where scientists are still grappling and finite man trying to figure out God's universe is always going to be a challenge. The estimates range from 200 billion galaxies on the low end to 3 trillion galaxies on the high end. 3 trillion galaxies. Well, let's just go with the low figure. 200 billion galaxies, and if each galaxy has 100 billion stars by itself, you do the math and you come up with 200 billion billion stars. That's billion billion. In other words, a two with 22 zeros after it. Give or take five or six, you know, roughly speaking. That's a lot of stars. That's a lot of moons, planets, nebulae. And he is the Lord of all. Even though we can't see him, we can't count him, we don't know for sure. He knows. He knows them all by name, the psalmist says. He's the Lord of hosts, angelic beings that we don't see. He's the Lord of hosts of planets and, and bodies and, universe, and the universe beyond our understanding. And then thirdly, he's the Lord of hosts of armies. Exodus 14.20, the hosts of the uh, Egyptian army, the hosts of the Syrian army, the hosts of uh, the Israelite army. He's the host of, of all armies of mankind. Today he's the host of, he's the Lord of hosts of America's armies and China and Russia and Ukraine, Iran, North Korea. So if you want to know, well, who's really the commander of all these armies? We know who ultimately is. And he will control and he will use and he will sometimes dispose, as he did the Amalekite army, as he wills for his glory and his purpose. So what a joy to be able to know the Lord of hosts is our Lord. He has all the resources of the visible and invisible realm, physical and spiritual. He's the God of might and power and leadership. He is the King of glory, as we read in Psalm 24, verse 10. And I want you to look again at the closing verse of Psalm 84. O Lord of hosts, as we speak to him, Blessed is the one who trusts in you. The one who trusts in you. Are you the one? Are you one of them? I hope every one of us is that one. To trust in Him. 
That is to put your confidence and faith in this Lord in a personal relationship brings you in a place of protection, provision, security. Say, hey, I'm okay. I'm all right. I know who the Lord of hosts is. He's my Lord. And let me, before I close, just give you a quick rundown on some ways that the Lord of hosts, knowing Him, can make a big difference in your life, even this week. Joshua fought the battle at Jericho. Jericho. Everybody knows that, right, Joshua? You did it. That's Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 5 is the night before the battle. In General Joshua, you can imagine the emotions of the man who's going to lead God's people against their first walled city in the land that they're going to uh, possess. He's out probably having a prayer meeting, talking to the Lord when he sees this character. This character comes to him and he's got a sword in his hand and he's not sure in the darkness if he can identify him. Are you for us or against us? He asks. And the character says, I am the commander of the hosts of the Lord. I'm sorry, I'm the captain. Maybe it's translated commander. I'm the captain of the hosts of the Lord. And he reveals himself to Joshua as the Lord. This is the Lord making a a visual appearance to Joshua on the eve of the battle to give him that assurance, that encouragement to go ahead by faith and do the right thing. Do you need a little encouragement to go forward and do the hard thing, the right thing that maybe you're facing right now? Remember, the Lord of hosts is there to say, go forward, my child, do right. How about this? Um, Joshua, I need you. I need you again, okay? We're going to change your name. You're no longer Joshua. You're now David. David is the little little shepherd boy. You can just stay back a little bit. Yeah, you don't even need this. Nah, you don't need a weapon. A rod. All you've got is your shepherd's slingshot, right? And he goes out in the battlefield as a young lad, maybe a little older than Joshua, but not by, by much. He's called the young lad. And he goes to the battlefield to represent Israel as the champion of Israel against the champion of the Philistine army, and his name is Goliath. Goliath. And he is one big dude, nine foot six tall, the Bible tells us. He's armored from head to toe, helmet, armor. The Bible says he has a sword, a spear, and a javelin. I'm thinking maybe he's a little over-equipped, a little overkill for fighting, but he's loaded. And he's insulted when he sees this little boy come out. He says, what are you, treating me like a dog? He says, I will tear you to pieces and give you to the birds. David says this. He says, you come to me in armor. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. That's all David says. First Kings, First Samuel 17, 45. Thank you, David. Good job. And I think we all remember the ending of that story, how that turned out. You don't want to be necessarily on the big side, and the heavy armored side. You want to be on the Lord's side. If you're on the side of the Lord of hosts, victory. And David shows us how the Lord empowers. His very name, the name of the Lord of hosts, empowers 
to victory in our lives. How about this one? 2 Kings chapter 6. Elisha is the prophet of the day. His assistant comes out of the house in the early morning hours one day. And his eyes open wide. Because all around the city are chariots and horses of the Syrian army. They're surrounded. And he goes into panic attack. We're going to die. We're dead meat. We're, we're doomed. What are, what are we going to do? And the prophet Elisha says, Fear not. Greater are they who are with us than they that are with them. And the assistant says, I don't see anybody except us two. <laughs> I think we're outnumbered. And Elisha prays, O Yahweh, please open his eyes that he may see. 2 Kings 6.17 God answers that prayer and he gives this assistant the spiritual vision to see the invisible unseen before. And he sees these fiery chariots and horsemen all around in the mountainside. And his heart calms down. He says, oh, nice to know that they're there. I wonder how many times it would be comforting for us to just say, Lord, open my eyes. I don't expect to see angels or fiery chariots, but just give me spiritual vision through the Word of God to see the resources I have in Christ. When I feel outnumbered, when I feel overwhelmed, when I feel like, you know, it's, it's just me against the world or it's just us, you know, this little church of believers, that little hope, we're just a little speck. Oh, but we have the Lord of hosts, hosts of heaven, host of celestial bodies, host of armies. He's the, he's the Lord of all multitudes, and He's our God. And then finally, in the New Testament, James writes in his epistle to some hardworking people who are being taken advantage of. It seems the farmers were working hard on the property, but the wealthy landowners were not treating them fairly. We're withholding some of their pay, we're uh, not being just and fair, uh, oppressing those hardworking, poor class people. And James says this to those as a warning to the wealthy, as an encouragement to the oppressed. Your cries have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. James 5.4 Your cries, when you're oppressed, when you're being taken advantage of, people are wronging you, you're feeling hurt, this isn't fair in life. God says, I want you to know, I hear and I see. We don't want to oppress people because of the Lord of hosts. We don't want to take advantage of people. If we're taken advantage of, we don't like that, but we'll let the Lord of the hosts deal with that. He sees and he hears. The Lord of hosts. So this morning as we conclude, friends, I hope we could say the Lord of hosts Blessed is the one who trusts in His name. I pray we could say, I'm the one. I trust Him. I know Him. He's, he's Jehovah Nisi, my banner, because He's Jehovah, the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is the Lord of victory. And I know where that victory is found. Because 1 Corinthians 15 says, death is swallowed up in victory. Our greatest enemy. I mean, our greatest enemy is not the government or communism or Islam or it's not atheism or it's not 
uh, all the garbage that's in the world. It's not even the devil. Our greatest enemy is death, ending our life, right? And yet the Bible says death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? We can taunt death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. The Lord who is the Lord of hosts, of all hosts, the Lord who is our banner, our victory, our conqueror, his name is Jesus. And today we can know him. We can trust him who died for us, rose from the grave. It's coming again. Calls us to put our faith in him. Turn from ourself. That's called repentance in the Bible. Turn from our sin. Admit it. Come to the cross where he died for that sin. Come to the empty tomb where he came alive, came back to life, shows us he has eternal life for us to take as a gift. We trust him. We know him. This week, we can serve him as our King and Lord. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, you are our mighty conqueror. You are Yahweh, our commander in victory, in life, and in death, and for all eternity through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Would you search our hearts, show us our hearts, so that before we leave here, we can each be sure that our heart has placed our faith in Jesus alone. We're not trusting our good works. We're not trusting our church, our preacher. We're not trusting anything except Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to save us. He died for us. He's triumphant conqueror of the grave. He's alive forevermore, and he will rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords. Before we leave this quiet place and go back to the busyness and the chaos of life in this dangerous world, Lord, may we each make that decision to trust Jesus, to follow him, to love and obey him this week because he's coming soon as our King of kings. In his name we pray. Amen.